Welcome to Wetwire, Episode 11, Bob Larson, Demon Hunter. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. You know, when I read through the script before we do our episodes, I read your sections and your voice. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. You know, I'll say like, I'm Sean Andes. And then I say, and I'm Julian Paul Butt. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when you say it, it sounds like I'm trying too hard to be a news anchor. <laughs> you probably are. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> this episode, we're talking about the living ghost of the 1980s satanic panic, Pastor Bob Larson, a.k.a. the real exorcist. He, he gave himself that name. Nobody gave it to him. It was just branding. He, he tried to to push this off. I think he started in the 90s with this real exorcist thing. I think it was around the time period when he was trying to get a bunch of reality TV shows produced. So it might have been in the 2000s because that's really reality TV time period when Survivor and things like that were, were getting broadcast. And then he saw, I'm sure he saw things like Ghost Hunters on TV and thought, I can do that. I hunt demons. I think there's a real correlation between the kind of narcissists. Well, all right. That word is abused. I'm sorry. It is. Uh, let me back up. I think there's a real correlation between the egomaniacs that we tend to cover, these grifters, and the reality TV star aspiration. We recently covered David Avocado Wolf and... Frankly, if Napoleon Hill had been alive at the time, he would have absolutely been oh, I think in a so reality too. TV show. They're, they are shameless self-promoters, and they will do anything to get more attention. This is why people spend so much time online and trying to, to collect these giant social followings. They're, they're trying to get attention. Bob Larson has said that he began performing exorcisms even before he was a full-time minister. Because people would come to him with their problems, and he found that when they described their problems, he, demons would speak through their bodies. I became an exorcist, not by choice, but by calling. And it was an evolving way in which I got interested. As a young man out of university, I traveled internationally, and I saw in... Eastern cultures, a lot of spirit possession ceremonies, and the fact that those kind of cultures are much more open to this. I came back to America wondering, does possession and exorcism exist in America? And back then there was not much talk about this sort of thing. It was about that time that I became a Christian and felt a call to ministry. But even before I went into full-time ministry, people would then start coming to me with problems. As they told me about their problems, demons would begin to speak through their bodies. I recognized this wasn't happening to anyone else and that there was something special that I'd been gifted with. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I mean, All right. he, he, I cannot give this man a better introduction than the one that he just gave himself. He's a special little boy. If we, if we can say anything <laughs> about Reverend Bob, he definitely has a gift. As of 2012, Larson claims to have performed over 15,000 what he has called, quote, documented exorcisms all over the world. That number 
like I said, is from 50, is that 15,000 exorcisms number is from 2012. In other places, he talks about having, having performed over 20,000 exorcisms. He recently demonstrated his specific knowledge of Caribbean demons when he weighed in on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard court proceedings. In fact, he devoted an entire article and a companion video to Depp and Heard. This is from Larson's blog post on his website. Things are not well in America. Oh, oh, hold on. He does not get transatlantic accent. You just sorry, heard his sorry, voice. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, 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 not only... He's from Nebraska. It's, it, it's, it's on his blog post on his website, but it's almost word for word the vlog episode that he released. I had this skin crawly moment when he described it as a vlog. This is my blog, my, my video log. And then he spends five minutes saying like follow and share and it was not the right voice it it it, it seems so disjointed he's doing the best he can he's like 80 <laughs> years old <laughs> I mean, you can see in the close-up shots on the video for the 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 johnny depp amber heard video you can see his gray roots underneath his dyed hair it's really it's, so I, bad. it's bad all right sean <laughs> i know but I have no intention of simply making fun of him because he is an older guy. That is not what I'm trying to do at all. There are plenty of things to make fun of him for. And most of the things that we're about to talk about happened years yeah, ago. Absolutely. I know I default on the transatlantic accent. I will work yeah, don't to do not that. do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving all this in the show, by, like in the recording, by the way. Everybody needs to know what my editorial comments sound like. I will develop a reputation as just being this this terrible hard ass <laughs> with you, but that's okay. I have a fucking vision. <laughs> anyway, this is from Bob Larson's website. Things are not well in America. Inflation is out of control in middle America is suffering. In Wisconsin, a 14-year-old kid was just charged with raping and killing a 10-year-old girl. His father is a convicted pedophile. The mother of the girl is on probation after conviction for multiple counts of credit card theft. Crime is way up, and New York City, for example, has seen an increase of nearly 40% in one year. On top of this, Russia is threatening nuclear war, and with all these important events which should get our attention, millions have been got have been millions have been glued to their TV screens. To watch the spiritual shipwreck trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. These two spoiled, dysfunctional, and very rich Hollywood stars have been duking it out in a Virginia courtroom. The testimony has been salacious, titillating, and at times downright obscene. When 150 million is at stake, things can get messy. I, I can't decide if Larson is having like a Lewis Black kind of moment. Or if he's channeling Howard Beale. <laughs> I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. From what I've seen on his website, he starts off a lot of blog posts like this. <laughs> this is just the way that he's viewing the world. This is an old guy who thinks that everything's gone to shit. It's creepy as fuck to me that he references this recent conviction of the 14 year old and the rape and the murder. Where is this coming from? He doesn't cite it. He doesn't mention it. I didn't even want to look it up. I know. I didn't I didn't I didn't try to fact check any of this. I think some of it, I mean, maybe it just happened 
and maybe it happened six months ago and the the just charged is sort of a, a you know a relative way of describing that as opposed to just being last week or something i think that's really interesting about what he's saying though is the tone it is it really is it's a grandpa simpson kind of thing where he's talking about the kids today and how the how the world's gone to hell and crime is way up and new york city has an increase of 40% in crime in one year and russia's threatening a nuclear war and but instead of paying attention to how terrible everything is all we can do is watch Johnny Depp. Which he is also doing. But that's the thing. I totally agree with the sentiment in his introduction here, because I do think that there are more important things for us to think about than the gossip war between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And the fact that we are we're treating what's basically, you know, or what could be a very serious domestic violence situation as just this sort of he said, she said gossip. All right. Back to Bob Larson's take on Depp and Heard. Oh, actually, can we back up a step? I, I want to make one more quick comment. The part that for me is so creepy about that one single incident that he's mentioning but doesn't cite is he's mentioning Russia and he's mentioning invasions and all these other global or national or large scale things. And this one oddly specific one, that's the part that creeps me out about it, is that it's so fucking oddly specific. To me, it's creepy because he is portraying it as if this is a rampant all over the place kind of incident that this is something that's happening all and everywhere larson then spends the next 30 minutes or so breaking down johnny depp and amber heard's relationship i suspect that the only reason larson talked about the trial is that it's trending so fucking hard on social media that's for a couple of reasons it's a pair of people being shitty to each other in a public way with all the drama and intrigue of a soap opera and all the fascination that we usually give to celebrities it's pretty public and it's vain and petty it's a perfect cocktail for tabloid news it's a rorschach relationship people project their own experiences with shitty relationships and take a side the protagonist being whomever they identify with the details read like the kind of he said, she said bullshit that everybody's best friend is relating to them when they have a tale of a bad breakup. We've all experienced this. It makes it really easy for a lot of people to imagine the dating nightmares that they've had and then project themselves into the story. For the same reasons, I think there's some undercurrent of a backlash to the Me Too movement. It's some kind of a he too, not all women kind of a narrative. All of the sensationalism and public spectacle is exactly the game for Larson. Larson is almost definitely a gossip fan. And he's going out of his way to say that he hasn't been following the trial and that he only reads about it. He specifically says that. I'm not, I'm not watching any of this stuff, but I do read about it. I don't think he can get enough of it. There is no way that he hasn't been watching every minute of this courtroom footage. He knows way too much to have not been watching it. By contrast, I have been actively avoiding this trial. It has been coming across my Facebook feed. It has been coming across my TikTok, especially. All the time I'm getting live streams from my TikTok uh, of the trial itself. I have no interest in celebrities. I often will deliberately tune out 
any kind of drama or gossip that is happening around celebrities because I could not possibly give less of a shit. You know, there's a reason why we haven't covered Johnny Depp and Amber Heard on this show specifically. (laughs) And it's because they're at the core of all of this courtroom bullshit that's going on and all the people taking sides on Twitter. There, there is potentially something very real and human and fucking serious. And none of that really gets the attention that it deserves, at least not in a public forum. So why, I mean, why talk about it? What is there really to say? Either something bad happened or it didn't. And if something bad did happen, then either one of them was responsible or the other or both. And you can't think for a second that watching the courtroom proceedings or talking about it is ever going to uncover the truth to any of that. So what is there? what's left to say? That doesn't stop Bob Larson. But for me, I don't think there's anything left to talk about. It's There's no way we can get at what actually happened simply by talking about how the courtroom shit went. Yeah, plenty of funny things have happened during this during these court proceedings. I mean, there's been hilarious moments. I've seen the clips. I mean, they're definitely funny. But to focus on those humorous moments and ignore the the gravity of what's happening underneath and behind those moments that that put both these people in this courtroom that's something totally different you know i like i don't even want to hear the legal breakdown of the shit and whether or not johnny depp has a chance of defending himself or vindicating himself whether amber heard is going to win her countersuit i want to let everybody know that sean forced me against my will to learn about this trial and this was really just a clever ruse a guise of of getting me to read about this stupid fucking trial the whole show was just this (laughs) i'm sure everybody can tell so far by you know that everybody at least who's listened to more than one episode can tell that i like to torture jewels (laughs) johnny depp is worried that his reputation has been ruined Oh, what reputation? The one so carefully cultivated with him always looking scowling and sneering, evil, demonic? That reputation? How about the reputation of the Jack Sparrow wannabe pirate? Or how about the Savage ads? That means savage. The Dior fragrance ads with him looking like an animal on the prowl. Reputation? Well, I guess when you're worth $200 million, as he is, does one article really bring down his acting empire? By the way, this is really important. Don't miss this. There are such things as real pirate demons. (laughs) I don't see them much in the mainland U.S. But when I'm in a coastal city or when I'm ministering in the Caribbean, I see lots of pirate demons and I've encountered <laughs> them and cast them out. So this whole Jack Sparrow role, there's a bit of truth to that. I want to tell you, pirate demons are nasty. They are bloodthirsty. They are lawless. They are murderous. And I wonder... Did Depp get actual pirate demons from playing his Jack Sparrow role? I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I want to take a couple of chats here. So hold that thought. I love that part 
Or he tells us to hold that thought. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> he he is seriously such a radio guy. I mean, you can yeah. tell. We haven't talked about his past careers, but you can tell that he is totally comfortable with a show format like this. He treats checking the chats, the live chats on YouTube, because these are generally live streams. If you're a member of his program and, you know, pay your dues and whatever. He treats taking the, checking the chats like he's taking phone calls. Hold on, the lines are lighting up. <laughs> or hold that thought. We have, we have to pay the bills. And he's going to read some advertisements <laughs> or something. He is really good at this. <laughs> Jack Sparrow. I think he became too much like the real pirate. The ocean-going outlaws who operated during the late 17th century and the latter... Uh, the early part of the 18th century. These were men who terrorized shipping, merchant ships, and ports. They stole gold, they stole liquor, whatever they could get their hands on. The most famous of these, you've heard of him, Blackbeard, an English pirate who operated mainly in the West Indies. And for being the most famous of all the pirates and all the evil that he did, he died at 35 or thereabouts. Personally, I think that Depp was extremely evil before Jack Sparrow. But I also think that playing the role through five films opened a door for pirate demons to enter him, and that's a lot of what Amber Heard saw. Now, I'm not letting her off the hook. I'm just talking about Johnny. And this spiritual implosion that you're watching, that you're witnessing, the roots of which were already there in his life, only got worse. And Amber had her problems, too. She was a real-life Jezebel. What the fuck? Tell me he does not know everything about all this Hollywood gossip. There's no way that he's not fucking knee deep into all and of he's it. Spending, he loves this shit. He is spending so much time reading about all this stuff. He can't help it. And did you catch the difference there? He referred to Johnny and Amber Like Heard. they're close friends. He didn't say, no, no, he didn't say Johnny and Amber. He said Johnny oh, and Amber Oh, that's a Heard. good point. I mean, he is absolutely on Team Johnny Depp. There, there is no way that he's not. He won't say it because this isn't the format of the thing that he's doing. This guy has been reading this stuff, drooling over every detail. I'm sure he's got the, the courtroom proceedings playing out in the background, sitting there and just watching the play-by-play -play with the attorneys with, when they're questioning everybody. In this same vlog episode... Jesus, I, you said vlog. I, God damn it. He said it. He talks about character acting and personality acting. And I think what he meant by personality acting, which as far as I know is not a thing, based on the context and what he was saying, was method acting. He's describing method acting and and saying I think that, so too. that Johnny Depp was so involved in his character, which I believe he is actually known for method acting to a certain degree. But he was suggesting that this method acting opened him up 
for demons, for pirate demons to possess him. And that's how it came about. And while he was evil before, he got all these special pirate Caribbean demons because he was method acting as Jack Sparrow. That's, that's it. You, you, you did it. Have you attended a Bob Larson seminar? I made a comment a minute ago about how much of a pro Bob is behind the microphone. He, he is very comfortable. You can see that when you watch the videos. You can see how casually he feels. And we've been listening to Bob Larson now. But the reason that he's so casual is that in 1982, Larson was still trying to find his entertainment footing. And he went all in on the radio. That was his first big area of success. He'd done preaching. He'd, he'd preached at events. It was his radio show, though, that really got him going. He hosted a two-hour call-in radio show called Talkback. Larson himself designed a music-heavy format that he probably thought would appeal to teenage listeners. And that points back to his own past because he had a background in music from when he was a teenager and played guitar in a band called The Rebels. This was a very small-time band. They played churches and high schools and things like that. I don't think he ever really got over that idea of performing on stage or his affinity for being around music and musicians. He brought all of that to his show, and it was an absolute hit. By 1990, he had syndication on over 175 stations in the U.S. World Magazine reported that in that same year, Larson and his wife's combined income was $403,000. That's in 1990. That's a fuck ton in 1990. In the late 80s, a little bit earlier, Larson also performed his first on-air exorcisms. This is going to give us a hint now. You know, here's that foreshadowing moment at the direction that his career was going to later take. It wasn't the only thing he was doing on the radio. He was also busy expanding Bob Larson Ministries, which still exists, but it has definitely not weathered the years as well as well, I don't think Bob's weathered the years that well, to be <laughs> honest, but it definitely has taken a, a downturn. He's had, he's had to re reduce his, his outreach. But in 1985, that was not at all the case. He increased his office space from 5,000 to 15,000 square feet. And between 1980 and 1989, he also published 10 books. If Bob Larson is known for anything, it is always working the angles. It was during these years that Larson began directing his energies more heavily toward the problem, at least the way he saw it, of Satanism and specifically Satanic ritual abuse. I think this is an easy win as far as he was concerned. He'd seen the McMartin trial in the news. He knew how it played out in the media and how much attention it had gotten. He'd also probably seen how crazy people got over Satanism on, on Geraldo Rivera's show and all the other talk shows. I think at that point, all the famous shows in that time period, to some extent, were covering Satanists. I, Sally Jesse Raphael, Phil Donahue, I think all of these big shows at that time were covering Satanists or had Satanists on panels and or as And they would guests. have anybody on who had a low-rent Hot Topic outfit. Hot Topic know, wasn't a thing yet, it, though. It looked That's like still, a, a low-rent top, Hot Topic outfit. Very specifically, Hot Topic designed an entire line of clothing to match the type of clothing that the guests on these talk shows were wearing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> During his radio years, Larson wholeheartedly embraced the chaos of the live format and left his phone lines open at all times. 
This led to routinely unpredictable shows. In fact, purposefully unpredictable shows. As he fended off pranks, calls from hecklers, and the occasional phone-in from actual demons. <laughs> or at least audience plants pretending to be. I so tried to find a demon phone call from back then. I couldn't find oh, that's one. That's such a fucking <laughs> shame. I did hear some of his radio shows, though, and all of these wild calls made for great radio. I was looking at archived Usenet forums from the 90s and reading people's responses to his radio show. At, at one point, there was he had his own alt on Usenet, and he was really popular. There were a lot of fans. In these archives, I saw a lot of people that expressed nothing but love for Bob Larson. It's really impressive. When I look at guys like this, it's easy for me to mock them. It's easy for me to laugh them off. But I am reminded with uncomfortable frequency how much of a following people like this guy have. We we talk about negative oh, yeah. 48. He has a substantial following. We can make fun of his yeah. lunacy. And he still has people sending in Bitcoin donations and Ethereum. And I, I don't think I think everybody's probably cut off from PayPal by this point because PayPal wants nothing to do with any of that mess. I, I'm sure PayPal's execs are fairly confident that at some point this is going to turn into some, some kind of a Jonestown situation or a standoff. Yeah. It, it, it is so fucking important to keep in mind that these people who are saying this wacky shit have a lot of people who aren't passively listening. They're fucking fans. Oh, no. They're, they're, they're in they're, it to win it. They're, Ride or die. They're tuning in. All of these wild calls made for great radio. They were also good for Larson's image with his fans as a crusader for God. But most importantly, they were an opportunity for fundraising. This is something that he was absolutely known for, and he just seemed to get continuously worse about this as time went on. Year over year, he would devote more and more time to fundraising. This is from a 1993 report in Cornerstone magazine. Reairs, old radio programs whose high points are recycled and patched together as fresh shows, troubled a number of BLM employees. Cornerstone spoke to Alan Hergert, who worked for BLM during a six-year period ending in October 1992. That's Bob Larson Ministries, by the way. Not Black yeah. Lives Matter, nor the Bureau of Land Management. We don't need to sully anybody else's reputations. Quote, When I first started in the production department, it was all pretty straightforward, Hergert says. Bob would say, you're listening to a taped program. Sit back and enjoy it. These are some of our best callers. Then when there's this sudden inspiration, you know, we're losing it, a lot of money telling everyone we're taped. So instead of warning the listeners at every commercial break not to call in, they just started to tape with live talk back with Bob Larson. At the end, it would say the preceding program was pre-recorded. In between was an hour's worth of show. What about people who called in, thinking the show was live? We activated all the Compassion Connection phone circuits so everyone got a busy signal. The 800 number set aside for donors was left open. Over the years, Hergert maintains the re-airs evolved from sounding canned into a sophisticated blend of old and new. Old calls were cataloged according to topic and dated. After six months, the best calls were recycled, 
All we did was take out comments that dated them. After we'd spliced a bunch of these calls, we'd write a script for Bob to follow. Now, during a normal live show, Bob had a computer line that gives him the information on where people are calling from, their sex, their age. We pulled that from the computer files for the re-air, and he'd say it as though the person was there. One slight difference. When live, Larson said, I need a $500 champion to send money for Shane. When recorded, Larson said, I need a champion to donate for kids like Shane. That way, if a pesky journalist called and asked us if the show was live, we could say, hey, we didn't say it was live. Herbert feels responsible for designing what to him seemed an elaborate deception. He viewed his best programs as those that evoked most emotion. I called them three hanky shows, and three hanky shows brought in a lot of money. A decent re-air brought in $10,000. To me, it was almost like a game, or that's how I rationalized it. If my re-airs did well, bringing in donations, it was like scoring 50 points in basketball. You're like, wow, I did really good. In my heart, I knew what wasn't right, but the boss was telling me it was right. See, Larson wasn't a grifter. He was just being efficient. <laughs> it was all an act from the beginning, so why not just automate it so he didn't have yeah, to perform for real. every night? Standing out among all those hecklers was Glenn Benton, the vocalist from the death metal band Deicide, and also a regular caller to Larson's show. What you're doing, because I'm coming out there, Larson, and I'm going to deal with no, you. No, no, wait a minute, nobody I'm heard I'm going you. to deal with you. Nobody heard what you said because you used a pad. Glenn, this guy busted it through tape. My Lord will spare no mercy or pity on you, Larson. Here's what this kid said, Glenn, with the CDs. I, I destroyed a couple of them here. You, you already destroyed a couple? Yeah. What did you smash? Oh, I smashed the deicide tapes, and I loved it, you know. Glenn ain't nothing. Glenn Benton is nothing. He no longer influences me anymore. Brain dead. You're brain I'm not brain dead. I'm telling you. Last victims of the holy. Preach your holy lies. Laugh at divination and we all will be dead. Inscripted is you who will die. One of your songs, no doubt. It's called Holy Deception. It's about people like you, Bob. Are you demon-possessed? Of course. You want them? Of course I do. Or they wouldn't be here. They come to kill and destroy you. They're not going to destroy me. I'll die just like you. No, you said you're going to commit suicide. You never know, Bob. I love you and care about you. Yeah, sure you do. I love living my life this way. And nothing you'll say or anybody else on this planet will say to change my mind about the way I feel. So you go save Bon Jovi or somebody like that. You're not going to save me. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, your Lord is dead. What did you say? Now, now, Glenn, when you, when you, when you use profanity. <laughs> Glenn, I want to ask you. When I come to Denver, my Lord will spare no mercy on you, Lord. I know no mercy, and I am no coward, and you will soon find out. Glenn, you will soon find out, Larson. I have wasted too much time on I you. I just have an intelligent question. So I have one thing to say to you. Better luck next time. I'll be in Denver in a few weeks, and we'll talk. These guys clearly have such a romance going on. I know, right? It, it is all kayfabe. The entire thing is just a put on. It's obvious that they're both in on it. So Glenn Benton says he's going to be in Denver in a few weeks like it's a threat, but it sounds more like they're planning a coffee date. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sure that this is probably very good for both of their careers. Glenn Benton gets to have it on record that he's harassing this this evangelist on the radio. Meanwhile, Bob Larson gets to show off in front of all of his fans how he's talking back to this really scary death metal guy. This romance between these two guys lasted for some time, like a couple of years. At one point, I think it wasn't until... uh, the late 90s, Bob Larson even allowed his own voice to be used on a deicide track. It's unbelievably obvious that they both benefit from having the other as the villain. It's a kind of wink, wink, nod, nod situation. No, it's like professional wrestling. That's why I said it was kayfabe. The whole thing is this arranged sort of rivalry. <laughs> you know, this this, yeah. you know, this dispute that isn't real. So, like I said, Bob Larson's voice was even used, with Larson's permission, on the title track to Deicide's 2001 album, In Torment in Hell. That is the first track on the album. So, Larson's voice is literally the first thing you hear when you listen to the album. Jesus Christ is going to prepare a place for me. Great. And where he is, I'm going to be there someday. Great. No more tears, no more death, no more dying, no more pain. Beautiful. Where are you going to be? Also, not bad metal. I I haven't (laughs) listened to a lot of their stuff, but that sounded pretty good. Deicide was great. By this time, the 80s satanic panic had really wound down. I mean, this album came out in 2001. So everyone involved, Bob and Glenn both, were probably just trying to hold on to a little of that old magic that they'd had in the 80s and 90s. It just wasn't the same, though. Yeah, of course, the diehard fans are going to still love this on both sides, Bob's fans and Glenn's. Oh, absolutely. But it was more nostalgia than it was this burning confrontation that it had been, you know, say, five years earlier, even. Which makes sense for them, especially with Bob Larson, where his whole shtick had always really been following what was trending. It wasn't even about the people involved, he didn't give a shit about them. It was important that it was edgy, that it could create some buzz. He just wanted to piggyback onto something in popular culture. That's his whole grift. Or or uh, uh, Johnny Cash covering Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the success Larson saw in the 80s also drew a share of criticism. Also reported by World Magazine were allegations made by Lori Bosflug that she had largely written Larson's 1991 novel Dead Air. Did we mention that Bob Larson tried to be a novelist? He gave it a shot twice. He wrote a novel Dead Air and a a sequel novel called Abaddon. Well, wrote might be a stretch considering that there seems to be some weight to the claims made by by Lori Bosflug. And they seem to be backed up by statements that Larson reportedly made himself and that his attorney made to him. It also seems like Lori got her way because Lori, now Lori Kay, is listed on Amazon along with Larson's name as the author of the book. Wow. Dead air. Yeah. What is with these motherfuckers and taking credit for writing books? Yeah. The way it played out is it seemed like he paid her to be a ghostwriter and then did not give or... Well, he paid her to do some writing, but not explicitly ghostwriting. It was, there was never an arrangement that she would not be given any credit whatsoever. 
So it wasn't like Trump, where somebody was paid to specifically not have their name attached to the book. Yeah. In this particular case, that was not the arrangement that was made. But that's what Larson did anyway. He took full credit for the book and did not give any to her. And I believe that for the second novel, Abaddon, that she was contracted to write something like 200 pages. And after she'd written 100, he fired her. What a peach. Dead Air claims to be a fictionalized account of instances of real satanic ritual abuse that supposedly occurred during the 1980s. Essentially, according to Larson, these were real things that happened that he was informed of during his ministering. He took those situations that occurred from, you know, to multiple different people, sort of rearranged them a little bit, shook up the pieces in the puzzle box, and put together this story. This sounds like this fictional book, I want to say from the 70s, called uh, Go Ask Alice. It, it was about a teenage girl. She gets addicted to drugs, yada, 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 yada. It, it was a propaganda piece, but it was totally fictional. It was nonsense. It, it was by in, it was supposedly anonymous, but it was really just anti-drug prep propaganda. In the 70s, that was an issue that was going on, was teen drug abuse, or at least an issue that, that adults were afraid of. We should always separate this. Just because there's a lot of attention being applied to something doesn't mean the problem is actually as it's been presented or as it's been interpreted by the people who create all of this media. But this tradition of social content novels is exactly what we were talking about in our last episode with Mazes and Monsters. That was a social problem novel. It was a fictionalized account based on actual events that had occurred. This is essentially what Dead Air is doing, or what Bob Larson's trying to do with Dead Air at least is write a social problem novel about this epidemic of satanic ritual abuse that's going on in the United States. The problem, of course, in both the case in last episode and our premium episode about mazes and monsters with Rona Jaffe and with Bob Larson is that none of this actually happened. It was all just exaggerations based on urban legends. I think this all calls for a taste of what everyone was fighting over. So I think it might be time for another edition of Wet Wired Theater, Jules. This is from Dead Air. Can I do a transatlantic? Oh, wow. It- I was going to do a transatlantic and it came out Georgia for a second. What the fuck? That wasn't even Georgia. That was like Mr. Peanut if he had a voice. <laughs> and I was just trying to be sarcastic and it didn't even come out transatlantic as. All right. Read it however you want. <laughs> no, I'm just going to I'm just going to fucking read it. OK, Sean, I'm just going to fucking read it. <laughs> Read it like you're reading an audiobook. This is audible. <laughs> there you go. This is a free LibriVox recording. Oh, I love those. <laughs> I should have done that one. And they all have the robot voices. Those are like the worst narrators ever. But Some of them are pretty if good. If you want to break into it, there's your material. Stick with the public domain and get a lot of practice. <laughs> Annette took a deep breath and continued. It happened while I was gone over a weekend, attending a women's seminar sponsored by a volunteer group I worked with. One night that weekend, Gregory dressed Jennifer in a black gown, like a wedding dress. He scratched a name on her forehead. When I got back, I noticed her forehead was all scratched, but Gregory said she had taken a bad fall while riding her bike. I wished I'd asked more questions at the time, but I just never suspected. 
Never suspected that. All right, hold on. <laughs> Already, we've got like one line into this. There was a name scratched on her forehead, but the guy says that it happened from a fall. This this girl Annette or this woman Annette didn't realize that the scratch was a name. I mean, what did she fall into a knuckle ring? Did it say Brooklyn backwards <laughs> on her forehead? <laughs> Annette choked on her words. Wes knew she was stunned to learn that the man she had called her husband had married their daughter in a ceremony so evil. Only the events of the last month convinced her it was real. Her husband married their daughter. And the thing that stands out is that it was an evil ceremony. Not that he married their daughter. Now, it's unclear. <laughs> it's unclear from the context of this. Is it that he married them as in he is a priest marrying their daughter? No, as in he is husband and daughter is wife. So he's got two wives. I don't know if you've been watching Banner of Heaven on Hulu. I, I have not. I, what is it? What is this? Uh, you absolutely have to you have to check that show out. Banner of you'll, Heaven? You'll, yeah, it's all about fundamental Latter-day Saints groups Ugh. in Utah and Colorado. It's, it's, yeah, it's got a real true detective kind of vibe to it. Okay, all right. Gregory drove her to some place in the countryside. Jennifer was blindfolded, so she didn't know where they were going. When she got there, they went into a room filled with people dressed in black. Everyone seemed happy she was there. It was a festive occasion. They kept calling her a queen and said how honored she was to be a bride of the Dark Raven. Fucking Dark Raven. Wow, fucking creative guy. <laughs> really stretching the realms of your imagination for that one. Somebody just saw the crow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a fun film. Wes, they even put her through a kind of ceremony. She remembered part of it, something like honor and obey, in death we are reborn, similar to a wedding vow, only backward, reversed. Then after vows, they bathed her. All right, so this is an honest-to-God fucking dog whistle that I missed the first time that I read through it. When, they, when he says similar to a wedding vow, only backward reversed. This is a really common trope with evangelicals that are trying to convince everybody that there's a, there's a problem with satanic rituals going on in the United States. Very often, they describe satanic rituals as some kind of an abomination of Christian ceremonies. And the way that the Satanists do it to make a mockery out of Christ and all of the, and all the Christian rituals is to just do it all backwards. But that didn't start with evangelicals in the U.S. getting worked up into a lather over the satanic panic. This goes all the way back to Protocols of the Elders of Zion, where the accusation there is levied against the Jews, who were, according to whoever cobbled together that terrible book, making a mockery of Christian ceremonies by doing things in reverse. In Sabrina, the recent reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch... They do the same kind of bad fucking writing where there's all of this character development that is really fucking good. I enjoyed the show a lot, but the plot development is so poorly done because they don't even give credit to the ideas of what Satan might be as the antithesis of Christianity they just do the opposite of Catholicism. It's just Catholicism, but 
I, I think that that's all the same thing, though. That idea of Satan as being just the opposite of Jesus or the opposite of God, depending on who's the one doing the talking, is all they have. There is no imagination for what this could be like. And it's not even the opposite. That's the worst part. It's not even the opposite. It's the same thing, but dressed yeah, in God. That's all outfits. they can think of. They can't think about about any other kind of ritual. They have to just constantly refer to the rituals that everybody knows about. Annette's voice fell silent. Again, Wes wondered if she had been cut off. Annette! Silence. Are you still there? Nothing. The silence was so long, Wes almost hung up so Annette could call him again if they'd been cut off. Then Annette's frail voice spoke. They took the black wedding dress off her. She was naked. They bathed her in blood. Their blood. Each member of the group cut himself. And then the men urinated in a large pail. And they mixed it with the blood. <laughs> <laughs> this is very serious. <laughs> okay. They poured all that over Jennifer. Wes wondered if he could... Okay, hold on a second. So, it's some, like, fucking golden shower blood fetish? <laughs> is that what's going on here? Oh my god. Uh, yeah, she, she fell in with a really kinky crowd. Listen, I, I'm not one to kink shame. <laughs> However, I am definitely kink asking some questions. <laughs> yeah, this is the wrong personal ad to answer. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Pina Colada song where the two people are conversing in the personals and then they realize that it's, you know, it, that it's the other one, you know, that it's the husband and wife. <laughs> do, you, do you like to take baths and blood and urine <laughs> dad i didn't know that was you that posted that ad <laughs> wes wondered if he should halt the conversation annette enunciated each word haltingly drawing out multi-syllable words as if trying to speak a foreign language. When they finished bathing her, they raped her. All the men. Jennifer doesn't remember how many. She just said, lots. I asked her, five, six? All she could say was, more, lots more. Wes, I don't understand. Bad people are bad people. Evil is evil, but this is unspeakable, unimaginable. So now we're doing gangbang scenes? What the fuck? Satan style. This guy wrote this. It, or it's a theme both party. of them, I guess. <laughs> they, but they, they had to be imagining this to write it. I, I'm uh, I don't that go out. there. This is, I, I, this I, is. I won't criticize Larson for having an active imagination when he writes fiction. <laughs> it doesn't mean just because people write things in fiction doesn't mean they act these things out or even fantasize about them. No, 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 no. That's not my critique at all. I'm simply saying that all of this was his own creativity. This definitely did not happen. Oh, he absolutely but he definitely never had some fucking inspiration. A single 
report of anything like this ever happening, at least nothing that was credible. I won't discount the fact that he did like he pulled like kind of a National Enquirer sort of move where somebody said that there was an alien bat baby living in my shed, you know, like and then the reporter says, well, we got a call that this lady in Poughkeepsie has an alien bat baby living in her shed. And then it becomes a story. Maybe people did tell him this shit, but he certainly didn't try to fact check anything. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This did not it, happen. I, Nothing like this happened. But it gets to better. Your point, so we should keep absolutely. going. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's no problem with people having a creative imagination and writing fiction where, where the characters are doing horrifying things. I'm just saying this is all from fucking Bob Larson's imagination or the ghostwriter. Probably the ghostwriter. Annette paused again. This time, Wes didn't wonder if she would resume the conversation. He knew there was more. I love how this narrator knows everything that goes on inside of Wes's mind. <laughs> He's an omnipotent narrator. Oh, I wonder who the narrator is. Wes... I'm not sure if I believe what Jennifer told me happened next. Maybe she made it all up. If the part I just told you was true, perhaps it scarred her mind and emotions so badly something snapped, and she thought other th crazy, and she thought other crazy things happened too. I don't know. I just don't know. Anyway, the building where all this took place was on a farm. They took her outside to the barn. While Jennifer watched. They killed a horse, a large horse, then split open its belly and cleaned out its insides. Jennifer's hands and feet were tied, and she was put, Wes, I think I'm going to get sick. Faintly, in the distance over the phone, Wes could hear the sound of Annette retching. Then she coughed and spit, obviously clearing her mouth of the acrid taste of vomit. She shouldn't be going through this alone, Wes thought disconsolately. Why am I here in Clarion while she's alone in Chicago? Finally, Annette regained her composure and spoke again. Uh, I'm sorry, Wes. I just couldn't. Also, 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 with this, with this fucking omniscient narrator, I know who is just deep diving into Wes's thoughts and interchange. <laughs> like, is he Wes? Well, he, he almost has to be Wes because he doesn't know anything about Annette's thoughts or Jennifer, or Jennifer's father, or which would be Annette's husband. He doesn't know anything about these people, so he must be Wes. This is Wes telling the story. I'm sorry, Wes. I just couldn't handle it. That's okay. You don't have to tell me anything you don't want to. No, no, I have to. Wait a minute. So Wes actually gets dialogue there. <laughs> is he hearing himself speak to her? <laughs> what? <laughs> we just established that we think the narrator is Wes, but then he gets a line. <laughs> but he's also roughly omniscient so but he gets a line it's not him receiving it he wouldn't be telling he, he wouldn't get quotation marks around his own line if he's the narrator that's okay you don't have to tell me anything you don't want to no no I have to they laid Jennifer inside the gutted belly of that horse and then somehow Wes I don't know how they did it I don't even know if it's possible. I'm not sure it's true. They somehow 
enlarge the rear end of the horse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my god. (laughs) why would they pull her through it what does that even have to do with anything they somehow enlarged the rear end of the horse and pulled jennifer through it the way jennifer explained it they told her the horse was giving birth to her jennifer was now reborn to serve the dark raven Then Gregory renounced being her father and declared that he was her husband. Am I losing my mind, Wes? Has the strain gotten to Jennifer? Is she going crazy too? Do you believe anything that I'm telling you? No, I don't believe a word of it. (laughs) (laughs) Not a single fucking word. Do you believe me? Uh, That's going to be a pass from me, dog. Wes, you have to tell me you believe me. No, I'm sorry. I I don't. At some point, you just have to hang up and just call the police and give them her address. Well, don't call the police. (laughs) To call social services. Wes thought back to the sight of James Carmichael's bloody body ripped open and Dr. Blackwell holding the palpitating heart in his hand. Who would believe that? Now now we're doing some, like, film from the 1980s with, like, an Aztec sacrifice with the beating heart? Yeah, basically. What fucking film is that? What am I thinking of? You're thinking of Indiana what Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's the one. That's the one. Kalima. (laughs) I can't take it anymore, Wes. I can't take living alone. I know that I have Michelle and Dr. Ollinger, but Wes, it isn't enough. This is too much for me to handle. And I can't deal with the fact that the order, (laughs) the order... (laughs) <laughs> that's their name <laughs> Opus Day. <laughs> that's, that's the name of the group that has the horse thing and the, the blood sports uh. <laughs> and water sports and I can't deal with the fact that the order whoever these people are goes on treating others like they treated Jennifer I can't live in fear the rest of my life wondering when a police officer might stop me for speeding or some kind of paper trail will reveal my whereabouts. So she's obviously in hiding or something like that. I did not read the rest of the novel. I don't, I don't have any idea what's going on. I seriously, I saw the horse part and I, had, I went there. That's what I had to do. <laughs> I think one of them is in every car that drives by this phone booth. This has to end, Wes. And I've got to end it. I made up my mind tonight to come back to Clarion and go public with my story. I want you to come get me. And we've got to keep Jennifer hidden until I can find someone. Some sane, decent person. Is there anyone left? Are those ellipses... Did you put those ellipses in there? Or is that more... No, of course I didn't. (laughs) God damn it. Why? Why so many ellipses? Because there were some more up here... And then in this case, it looks like you might have, like, put them in there as the proper use of ellipses in the midst of a quote to, like, 
jump between? No, no, of course not. Because why the, would the it, way why, that it why, why? is I want you to come get me, and we've got to keep Jennifer hidden until I can find someone, comma, some sane, comma, decent person, period. Space. Space ellipses. Space, is there anyone left, question mark, end quote. No, I did not add any of that. I hate this so fucking much. Aside from this god-awful writing, again, this is the same repackaged urban legend content that had, by the point that this novel was published in 1990, had been going around for years. None of this, not even, none of it is even slightly new. I mean, some of the details, but, you know, the idea about the, the... the abomination of the Christian of the Christian wedding ceremony, or I mean, the horse thing seems kind of original, but I don't know, maybe <laughs> there was a story about that. That does seem creative, but the whole incest thing and taking the daughter when she's you know quote unquote of age, whatever that age happens to be, that's some biblical shit there. Yeah, I mean, it really well. It's not even biblical. I mean, it definitely is biblical, but. Until the 1800s, the age of consent in Delaware was something like 12 years old. This is not like some distant past where we, we've been civilized for so very long and we have this dim remembering of when things were absolutely crazy and there were no rules. There were no rules for most of this stuff until the late 1800s. It was At pretty least fucking awful. The age of consent in Germany is still 16 years old. In spite of what we just heard, Larson probably did dream that becoming a professional author was going to be his new big thing. I saw a clip of him as a panelist on Bill Maher's old show, Politically Incorrect, from 2000, and the Chiron with Larson's name said author underneath. Not reverend, not minister or radio host, and definitely not exorcist. (laughs) He was on that episode with John Waters, Patty Hearst, and Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff was probably the least known name of those three, but he has had a long acting career, and he was also the star at that point of Waters' recent movie, Cecil B. Demented. Which is a weird fucking movie. It was very avant-garde. There's something really cool. I mean, it's, I mean, I said it was John Waters that did it, right? So, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like all that other stuff just kind of goes there. But this, the super cool thing about this collection of guests was that Patty Hearst, in 74, was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Yeah. And basically just sort of Stockholm syndromed into robbing a bunch of banks. She went to fucking prison for this. So here she is acting in this film where Melanie Griffith is essentially playing her. Except instead of the Symbionese Liberation Army, Cecil B. Demented is running this crew of guerrilla filmmakers around and they kidnap Melanie Griffith, who's this famous movie star, and force her to act in their independent movie. And then she so slowly becomes part of the gang. <laughs> I mean, how, that, I just it, it, remind, it just brought all this back to me. That's such a cool fucking movie. And the fact that Patty Hearst is in it makes it all the better. All the better. Here's Bill Maher talking about Al Gore and Joe Lieberman running as the Democrat nominees for president and vice president in 2000. God, what a year. All right. 
So let's talk about this uh, Lieberman thing. Do we have any Jews on the panel? Any Jews? Any Jew at all? Half Jewish. Oh, you're half Jew. My father. Just like yeah. the ticket. Okay. Uh, and I'm a half Jew. Oh, nice. So together we have one Jew on the panel. Right. I got a little Jewish in me, too. You have a little Jewish yeah, in you? about a quarter. Quarter? Yeah, I mean, if we put it all together here, we could have a whole Jew. <laughs> Bob, are you listening to the exchange that we just had there? Okay, let me give you my take. Already, he is an absolute doofus. The math was already so simple. It was half and half Jew. <laughs> and he's like, hey, but I got about a quarter. How do you, how the hell do you have an about a quarter of anything in you? This sounds like that bullshit, I'm a 16th Cherokee shit that a lot of people pull. But what is about a quarter? You either have a quarter, what do you have in you? How do you even work this out? Already, you can see he's not keeping up, even with that little exchange in the very beginning of the show. That clip occurred at less than a minute. It started at less than a minute into that recording. It really has, ah, oh, me too, vibes. Hey, hey, guys, I, 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 yeah, also me. This is another classic Larson moment when they're all talking about whether Monica Lewinsky will be an issue for Gore and Lieberman. Yeah, right. If they only knew how crazy things would get in just a few months and how much everyone would be <sighs> how much a. everyone would learn about hanging chads on balance. <laughs> they're they're talking about Monica Lewinsky like it matters. <laughs> I don't know why his kids should be worried about the Monica thing when I thought that was over. Yeah, who's talking about Monica today? The Republicans were talking about Monica. I know, I know, I know. I don't think Monica's over. I think Monica's over for a lot of people. Maybe over for you and you and you, but for a lot of decent people in America, I don't think Monica's over. You, I you think... still thinking about her? No, I'm not, but I think that... <laughs> <laughs> So he's not decent people? But, 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 I, but I do think yeah, the fact back, that oh, sorry, wait, wait, Al Gore wait, said he was a great wait, president in the midst of all And now we want to hear about you and Monica. You no, basically, I, I, you know, I, I had a weird schooling because I had started making movies and stuff, but I did go to a school called Bel Air Prep, and I realized somebody had uh, gotten an old yearbook, and it was her picture two years ahead of me. Oh, she went, went to school with oh. me. Yeah, I never, I never really met but her. You but you or something. No, I didn't. But, oh. you, you know, you're still talking about it. I forgot about well, it. Well, I think a lot of America still cares about it. That's my point. A lot of people have gone on, but many people have said, a lot of people don't say they there. care about it because it sounds good. Because if they don't say that, their wife hates them. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking cringy all around. That just sums up this guy so well. He's not trying to have a conversation with everybody. He's not trying to have a good time. He's just out there trying to, like, get his point across. Just get his little thing out there. And then you see how the tide all turns. And every, and you see Patty Hearst, and she's like, no, no, everybody wants to hear about how he, he knew Monica Lewinsky in high school. He does the exact same thing that he does elsewhere. He says, well, lots of decent people. Well, I know that dig that he throws in there against the whole panel, too. You yeah. Know, I know it's okay for you, you, and you. But lots of decent people think it's a problem. Then he's asked directly, do you care about it? Are you thinking about it? And then he deflects and says, no, I'm not thinking about it. Which Right. So by... I guess he's not a decent person either. Nobody out there is a decent person. And that's the same thing with the, with the Johnny Depp and Amber Hearst trial, where he's yeah, saying right. <laughs> everybody's paying attention to this thing when they should be paying attention to something else. Anyway, let's pay attention to Johnny Depp and Amber Hearst. 
I'm sorry, Amber uh, Heard. Heard. (laughs) (laughs) During the 2000s, Larson went back to his roots. In fact, he went back to the thing that had always worked for him, performing public exorcisms. Obviously, writing fiction wasn't going to work out, and you saw how he was on that show. The rest of it is not any better. I just didn't want to play an entire episode of a a 2000s-era politically incorrect. But the formula that Larson had learned way earlier when he was doing radio, that was still working. He still had faith in it. That formula was find something that scares the shit out of people, even if it only terrifies just just a few people. As long as they're gullible enough, that group will be so freaked out that they will literally pay for more. This is from a CNN report. Bob Larson is an evangelical Christian, a reverend, a man of God. He is also... Say, I go. No, don't say I stay. I go. An exorcist. Say, we the people of God agree. We the people of God agree. Reverend Larson says this young man, Esau, is possessed with a demon. Another exorcism. Larson says Noella is also possessed by the devil. And he says her demons change her voice. Go now. Go where? Go now. <laughs> Go now. <laughs> you, know, me out of this home. you may not believe an exorcism. Say, I Lucifer. Say, I Lucifer. Say, I Lucifer. <laughs> but the practice is prevalent among many religions, including Bob Larson's evangelical Christianity. In simple terms, an exorcism is the process of expelling an evil spirit from an individual who has become somehow invaded or demonized or possessed by that being and sending it back to hell and freeing the person. It turns out Bob Larson was completely correct. Exorcisms were still a hit. Larson was, for all appearances, on a fast track back to evangelical stardom and apparently even had a Lifetime Network reality show in production. This is also the other shoe-dropping moment that I'm leading up to. (laughs) Everything was great, but then this happened. All of the success slipped right through his fingers because of a video that took off online. This video was viral before people were using the word viral. The very cringy video showed Bob at a religious event exercising a homosexual demon out of a man. Hi, Brian. Confess to Christ. Confess to Christ. I have committed homosexual acts. I have committed homosexual acts. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. You heard what he said? Did you hear what he said? Yes, I heard what he said. Doesn't make any difference what he says. Does it? No. He's mine. He's been mine for years. And I'm going to hold on to him. You'll never get him. Never! His mind. His father gave his mind. Spirit of anger. Spirit of anger, come up. Come up. Come up in the name of Jesus. Do you have any right to be there? Uh, Do you have any right to be there? Uh, Do you? Uh, Do you? No! You want to go? Uh, you want to go? I don't want them women to hold on to me anymore. 
Don't you do that to me again. No! The shit we watch for this fucking show. <laughs> yeah, I'm questioning some life choices right now. And if you'd like to support our masochism, you can support us on Patreon. <laughs> right, if you want to hear us cringe and wiggle in our chairs and for causing this man for causing this man uh, i'm gonna get those women back here uh, you want him back no say for causing this man for causing this man to commit abominations ah to cause abomination <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah. i lose him i lose him uh. from the curse homosexuality uh, of homosexuality homosexuality <laughs> and all sexual perversion and all sexual perversion uh, i lie not oh. i lie not uh, i lie not uh, i lie not uh, say it i lie not to the holy spirit uh, to the holy spirit uh, to the holy spirit to the holy spirit worst thing in the world for a filthy stinking sex demon to say is the holy spirit they hate it because it's holy it's holy that is so bad it is so cringy this is my announcement that i'm officially changing my twitter handle to filthy sex demon (laughs) (laughs) it'll happen by the time this show is out (laughs) sean i don't know if you know this I have been changing my title on Twitter. Oh, I've been watching your days. schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> Currently, I, I think I'm the maze controller is where I left off. Yeah, you did. But I am running out of ideas. I, I, I went through Emperor. I've done... Filthy uh, Sex Demon. You can get you can have it if you want. No, 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 no. You take that one. That's, that's a good one. But I, I've had a lot of good ones. Uh, one, one was uh, uh, Interplanetary Spy. I feel like that was a good one. I, I don't want to talk about Twitter as if it's real. <laughs> I'm almost at a loss for words about what to say about that clip. I, I honestly, I, I, you know, I watched that and of course it's fucking hilarious and, you know, the voice acting that goes on. There's also some, there, there have also been allegations that Larson is using uh, a type of persuasion hypnosis to elicit these reactions out of people and you know people have have broken down his behavior and you know in in front of these supposedly possessed people and they they, you know they've suspected that he is uh, he's creating some sort of a hypnotic state and using suggestion to get them to behave in this way that seems as reasonable as anything there have also been some accusations that some of the same people have appeared in some in Larson's videos that have also appeared in other evangelical exorcist videos. You know, so that one hinges on, you know, these are crisis actors or something like that. I tend to be, to give those a little bit less credit simply because the people that 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 lobby those accusations are often other evangelicals. So there's this sour grapes element and also the fact that they use the term crisis actor, which is really, really popular with this sort of QAnon level fringe conspiracy theories. 
it was something that was popularized by Alex Jones when he was talking about the victims of the Sandy Hook shooting, that they were all crisis actors. And that term has really been deployed widely in those crowds. So when I hear somebody use the, use the terminology crisis actors now, I, I'm immediately suspicious about whatever their motives are or whether or not their evidence is worthwhile in any way whatsoever. I actually knew real crisis actors. Back when I used to work in hospitals, this was something that some of the people I worked with were part of. You know, for example, at the, at the local Air Force base, they would have disaster drills and they need a bunch of people in this simulated explosion or crash landing of a jet or something like that to simulate injured people and dead bodies. So their crews, their emergency response crews, could have actual individuals to work with. The acting component here is that you're just not playing a corpse. The people who are living, they had to have an ailment. They had to remember all the symptoms. They had to be able to describe everything in a realistic fashion so that these emergency personnel would have to go through the questioning and they were forced to make a make a field diagnosis of what the problems were. That's what a real yeah. crisis actor is. That word now has been totally divorced from any reality. It is just anybody who is involved in an event that I wish wasn't real because it doesn't fit the narrative I want to have for the world. I would add to that. I dare I you like to that. add to I don't... that. I God dare you to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was no, I just fucking hate that phrase. I, I I realized that I said the phrase right after it came out of my mouth. It's it's one of my it's one of my parenthetics that I say. I would add to that. I would suggest. <laughs> now now I forgot where I was. Right, give me a second. Fuck, I lost it. All right, it's gone. All that said, if this man in the video clip is actually gay and not just part of Bob Larson's acting troupe. I really hope he has found some peace in his life because being gay and thinking that all those thoughts about wanting to have sex with other men are actually implanted by a homosexual demon. That must be fucking torture. That's in large part why it's so fucked up when they have these pray the gay away events. In this case, it's not pray the way gay away. It's exercise the gay away. Yeah, but <laughs> Bob Larson <laughs> offers a fast track. You don't need to spend yeah. a whole summer at some at some gay camp you can just go to bob larson's thing and he's gonna get that gay that gay homosexual sex demon right out of you <laughs> everyone knows that homosexuality is caused by specific demons yeah and with our patented anti-gay demon candles available for 1999 don't give him any ideas <laughs> do we need to add that to our merch list <gasps> could we <laughs> i think that would cause problems this also might be an instance where we see the real bob larson too or at least part of the real bob larson keep in mind that when this video helped define what viral was in 2012 i think bob larson already had a television show in the works and he was ready to make an exponential leap in his entertainment career he had every reason to make the effort to realize that the room that he should be reading wasn't that congregation. It was a room full of very liberal television executives, and they knew how exactly how many gay men were watching those shows. If anything, he just couldn't help himself. He had he had to be true to his heart, <laughs> <laughs> which in Larson's case means being a homophobic bigot. 
<laughs> on the nose. <laughs> These days, Bob has shifted gears, like many of us, by learning to ply his trade over the internet. For Bob Larson, that means exercising people online. That means through Skype, on FaceTime, over Zoom, Google Meet. He is everywhere. Through his website, <laughs> he offers virtual encounter sessions that are either conducted by him personally or an associate minister. And now, in this day and age, exorcisms are done over Skype. I'm going to reach out, cross the miles, and anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The exorcist says this man, David, from Norway, is possessed by four demons. One of the demons, says Bob Larson, is sarcastic and mocking. Are you Bob the Builder? <laughs> You have mocked the servant of God. You will be you will be struck with judgment for mocking the servant of God. Another demon says Larson is named Leviathan, who is dangerous and mean. Out of the way, Leviathan. Take you down, 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 down. You're not taking me anywhere. You're the I'm one who's going down. down. We will tear you apart bit by bit, and the dogs will eat your flesh. I Wait. call the hounds of hell to come now and begin hey, to eat your we... flesh. Can, can we talk about his Mr. Rogers V-neck sweater? I absolutely love that guy in the Skype call. <laughs> He's... Phenomenal. He's really good. Are you Bob the Builder? <laughs> He's Bob the Builder. He's talking to somebody off camera. It's fantastic. How Bob Larson conflates the different denominations is a little interesting to me. I wish I was, I don't wish that hard, but I wish a little bit that I was more familiar with the distinctions between the denominations to be able to see which portions he's parsing off for his own. Because he does discuss at some points, not here but elsewhere, about his collar, which is generally associated with Catholic Catholic priests. Although, as he points out, and it's probably true, I really don't know, it's not exclusive to Catholic priests. I guess Lutherans, but, word, Methodists, yeah. Yeah. And but Catholics he are the also, ones that are really known for it in popular culture. He's wearing it because Max von Sydow wore it in The Exorcist. That's where I was going with this, is that the exorcism shtick is also very much associated with Catholicism. Yeah. Of the different denominations. Usually. Again, usually. Not necessarily all the time. But it usually is because Catholicism has something that none of these other religions really want to own, which is the Latin. And like you've mentioned before, it's that spooky fucking language. Most people it's the do spooky not know fucking Latin. language. Yeah, most people don't know Latin. So when they hear it, it's this incantation. You could be talking about how how much the you know the the grapes are growing, you know how well the grapes are growing this year compared to last year, or that you need to replace that loose rock in the wall over there, and it doesn't matter because it's in Latin. So the whole thing sounds fantastic. And for him, it's important to have the good costume for the good role. 
Totally. So something I didn't mention is that a virtual encounter with Bob Larson over Skype or FaceTime currently costs $395 for an hour session. In, in, uh, in another place, Bob, Bob talked about his most extreme exorcisms, and he says that, that there was one instance where he saw the same woman for over 50 one- to two-hour sessions. That's a good grift. Four hundred wow. bucks a session. Way to have a recurring customer. Yeah, and that four hundred dollars a session is for online. It's seven hundred dollars if you do it in person, which is in Denver. Am I right? Or at least it was in Denver when he was chatting with our friend from DS. Yeah, so that 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 was a while back. He, he he's in Arizona now. When Bob's not speaking performing exorcisms and breaking curses online or at events across the U.S. and around the world, Larson, maybe sensing his own mortality, has been helping to prepare the next generation to take over his crusade against all that's unholy. Since at least 2012, Larson started training his daughter, Bryn, and two other girls, Savannah and Tess Schirkenbach, to take over for him, christening them the Teenage Exorcists. They travel with him to events and often perform exorcisms on stage. His daughter, Bryn, in an interview, talks about performing her first exorcism in Africa somewhere, as if Africa is a fucking country, at the age of 13 in front of 3,000 people. According to a 2017 article in The Sun, by the time Bryn was 23, she performed over 2,000 exorcisms. As the teens aged out of the name Teenage Exorcists, they rebranded as the All-American Exorcist. <laughs> All right, we're harking back to the 90s again. I know, right? He where can't we've help got himself. some sort of unitard with with white and red and blue. You know, it's really true is that people keep referring back to the generation that they grew up in, and in a lot in a lot of ways, Bob really grew up in the 90s. That's when he came into his career, and that's really the era that he keeps he keeps looking back to. I mean, the All-American thing, you could find that in the 80s, too. So maybe he's going back that far. Sadly, the Facebook page for the All-American Exorcist seems abandoned. And as of at least January 2020, their website is down. It actually sends you straight to the login page for WordPress. So I guess you could start working on that, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, another victim of the COVID-19 pandemic. That was Bob Larson, the real exorcist. Larson really has this penchant that so many of the other grifters that we've covered so far tend to have. We already mentioned it, but I can't emphasize it enough. He loves the limelight. He really wants to be a, as we said about Avocado, a D-list celebrity. Yeah, that's what his aspiration is. In I Heart Huckabee's... Jason Schwartzman and Jude Law are in this huge fight in this elevator and they're going at it. It's towards the end of the film and they're having these existential revelations about each other and about who they really are. Albert Markovsky, played by Jason Schwartzman, is saying you're caught up in all that shit. And they're talking about this celebrity culture, this desire to be connected to celebrities, this desire to be seen associating with celebrities, this whole sort of culture of being seen. Then, of course, Jude Law, who's Brad Stand, 
is saying, no, I'm not caught up in this shit. And it's this very dramatic moment that is maybe the crescendo of the film. It's like the more you protest, the more obviously you're caught up in this. And then they realize that these two opposite characters are the same character. Both realize that in their very different ways, one being a hippy-dippy environmentalist and the other being super corporate and conniving and all the rest of it, are both caught up in this same celebrity culture and the same desire to be seen. And it's all about playing the role and being on stage, even though their different stories are so dramatically apart and they seem like opposites on the surface. So Avocado Wolf is Schwartzman and Bob Larson is Jude Law? Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I get, I get the point though that all of this is this cultivated image, and you can tell because he keeps trying, or at least he was. He probably isn't doing it anymore, but he would take the option if they gave it to him. He was constantly trying for decades to get those television spots. You know, he managed to get himself on the list for Politically Incorrect when it wasn't even that popular of a show. I don't. I think it got canceled like a year later. And he did terribly. He's obviously not suited for this. You know, he want, and you could see this. I mean, if you really want to, you know, give an armchair psychological diagnosis for the man. He was, um, he was in a band when he was in, during, you know, during the 60s when he was a teenager. And I think it started then. He he got that little taste of all that adulation, and he just kept craving it. He always wanted it again. He kept trying to recreate it. For him, the angle was this religiosity that he found himself immersed in. He saw that as his venue. You know, he didn't want to be a rock star, or maybe he couldn't be a rock star, but he can start criticizing rock stars. He can start criticizing popular music and what it's doing to our culture, and he can get attention that way. So instead of really participating in the culture, he becomes an outside critic of it. Not because he's rejected the culture. It's even worse for a guy like Larson. It's that he doesn't have what it takes to contribute. So he can't sit with just being a consumer of it. And he doesn't have what it takes to be a contributor. So he turns himself into a critic. And the bar is way lower for that. It's a bizarre form of counterculture where he's picking the dominant religion, Christianity, and taking it to an extremist extent in order to make it a counterculture. Yeah. I mean, he has to put himself at odds with things. He can't like something. And I mean, you, you can see it way back in that politically incorrect clip when he's talking to, to Bill Maher and the rest of the guests that he can't be on the same page with them. He has to say, like, you know, about Monica Lewinsky that, oh, it's, so you know, it might be over for you, you and you. But for decent people, he has to keep putting himself in opposition to everything. This is really the same kind of thing that we see with the whole this whole MAGA movement, the way that it's developed in Trump world. There isn't really any substance there. I mean, there's a whole thing right now with all these MAGA rappers. I mean, if you can imagine what... <laughs> So there's a guy by the name of, um, of, uh, oh God, I'm doing the same thing you just did. <laughs> Forgio Blow. That's his name. <laughs> Forgio Blow is his name. 
this is a 38-year-old man, for fuck's sake. He's trying to make a go of being a rapper at the age of 38 years old, coming from no background in this previously. I haven't listened to the music that much. I mean, I heard part of a track. That That is it. By the way, Blow means um, been living on wealth. <laughs> wow. And he, he has a Bitcoin symbol tattooed on his cheek, too. Um, but all the songs that are coming out from these guys are all basically the same as one another. They're all like nobody's contributing to the culture. All these all these MAGA rappers are writing the same songs as one another, or at least titling them the same and using the same themes. So there's a song about Kyle Rittenhouse. There's a song about Portland. There's a song, you know, somebody, there's a, everybody does a song about Disney World. All these things are, the, they're the same themes over and over again. They talk about abortion. They talk about Black Lives Matter. Again and again, the same themes. Nobody's contributing to the culture over there. This is all a reaction to the to the modern culture or a reaction to the mainstream culture. I mean, whatever there is of mainstream culture, the the popular streams of culture. It's not it's not creating something on its own. That is something that we are seeing with one grifter after another. They are not contributors. They are not forming movements on their own, like in their own rights. They're just reacting to the things other people are doing. And they're lifting other people's materials. You have to. If you're not creating things, all you can do is work with what other people have created before you. That's all you can do. You can't make your own stuff. Just like that shitty novel that, that Larson wrote. He, he had to take these accounts, you know, in quotation marks, uh, that other people had given him. That's, that's the only thing he can do. He can't create his own, like, murder thriller detective mystery type of novel that'd be great go ahead and do it people love that shit or like avocado with raw eating and his exactly he lifted the whole book from somebody else the whole book he couldn't even write his own book on raw eating mainly because he didn't even really know enough about it probably he didn't have the depth of knowledge that it takes for somebody to actually create something all they can do is comment which by the way everybody listening you should definitely definitely know that i see myself in all these comments I'm not making shit either. I'm just commenting on what everybody else is doing. <laughs> I, however, am so a save it for Twitter and special. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should <laughs> right there. <laughs> you good? That was perfect. You got any last yeah. words? The demon test thing was fine, but I, I feel like it would just kind of drag it. No, on. that was just there it, if we didn't have anything to talk about. I, I, I feel like that would. It was, yeah, seriously, it was just there for us to have something to talk about if we didn't have anything else. You know that if you wanted to, if you weren't, if you weren't ready to pony up the six ninety five for the in person encounter, which is <laughs> creepy as shit for naming, Jesus. then you could take the demon test to see if you really need it. Also, uh, I actually did get a five on that score. I got 10 the first time I took it because I was being brutally fucking honest. I was being totally honest with this one, too. And, and I was trying. I like I really wanted to get like a good demon score. Like the whole thing is just basically asking if you have abuse or uh, or trauma or mental illness. 
I know that, that like we don't need to include this in the show, but this is just for our conversation because I yeah. do think we left it in a good point. I don't want to bring up other shit. No, 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 I agree. I agree. I'm on board. He makes comments in other places about, you know, 50% of the demonic possessions he's encountered were victims of sexual abuse. I read that. The fact that that weighs in so heavily on the demon test, I think that this is a pre-screening tool. Now, that's what I was thinking too. He doesn't I think that do this the is thing his... that you probably ought to do if you were going to do follow-ups, which is he doesn't make you he doesn't make you provide an email address before you get your test results. He should do that. I that noticed would be that. a better approach. It would also be a lot more sinister because I think that he's got kind of an angle about like how he can deal with the people who've been abused. I think he's got like if like just you know bear with the suppositions for a little bit, but if you know supposing he really is using a form of hypnotic suggestion and and persuasion to elicit these responses out of people, these reactions, maybe he just feels like he's got that more dialed in with people that have a history of trauma, specifically sexual abuse trauma. And that's why it weighs in so heavily on this questionnaire. I think I think he's specifically preying on people who are survivors of abuse. I think so too. I really I think, think that's so. exactly his angle. And and they are looking for an explanation for these traumatic experiences in their life or something to do with their mental illness and instead of them being able to get good fucking treatment that they could really use they're getting this fucking grifter who is telling them it's demons and spirits he's got an article on uh, you know on his blog about you know should you see a therapist or an exorcist or something like that it basically like he is he walks a very fine line there Maybe out of responsibility or a sense of responsibility to the people who would be reading it. Probably out of legality. He lands on, you should see both. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not like we have licensed counselors that we can refer you to and you know we know good people that we work with or something. Even Christian counselors. That would be totally acceptable if he was an above board fella. He's not an above-board fella in any way whatsoever. He's a fucking grifter. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wetwired. We've had a couple of new Patreon subscribers in the past few days. We really appreciate it. Those subscriptions help keep us ad-free and independent. We have some fun-slash-terrible episodes, both free and premium, coming up. They're going to be our wet-wired contribution to making this June White Rage Month, or maybe just the beginning of Fash Boy Summer. We announce new episodes on Twitter, so follow us there at WetWiredPod to see when they're released. If you want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash wetwired. And if you have an idea for an episode, DM us on Twitter. Now, you got your daughter Bryn involved in this at age 13. Bryn, what was that? You actually exercised somebody at age 13. Yes, my first exorcism was in a church in Africa. Dad was up on stage working with somebody, and then all of a sudden he turned and looked at me and said, Bryn, why don't you cast this demon out? And so I got up on stage in front of 3,000 people and cast this demon out.
And what qualifications do you have to cast a demon out at age 13? I had my dad right beside me the whole way. I've been around this my whole life. 